Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's 8 a.m. on December 20th, 2009. Brittany Murphy's mother, Sharon, is desperate. She calls the Los Angeles Fire Department after finding her daughter, Brittany Murphy, unconscious on the bathroom floor of their home. Brittany is pronounced dead just hours later. Questions begin to swirl. What happened to the acclaimed actress who starred in such films as Eight Mile, Clueless, and Girl Interrupted? As the dust begins to settle around her untimely and tragic death, the mystery around what exactly happened to Brittany Murphy begins to emerge, with some suspecting foul play. I'm Sarah Azari, and this is Death by Fame, Brittany Murphy. Welcome to Death by Fame, the companion podcast to The Price of Glee and Death by Fame on ID and Discovery+. Plus. Hosted by me, Sarah Azari, criminal defense lawyer in Los Angeles. I've represented big criminal cases at the state and federal level, and I've seen the special brand of crime and scandal that thrives in Hollywood firsthand. These are crimes fueled by ambition, addiction, jealousy, and the quest for fame itself. Brittany Murphy in the late 90s and the early aughts was on her way towards becoming a major star. She was endearing, charming, and extremely talented. But she was also typecast. Brittany Murphy to Hollywood was cute. And in order to be a big star, you had to be more than just cute. Brittany transformed herself. She lost tons of weight. She dyed her hair blonde. But her meteoric rise never came. And her career started to dwindle. She went from iconic movies, starring opposite Eminem, for example, straight to video flicks. Brittany Murphy was lost. She started to turn inwards, choosing not to leave her house and reached for comfort in the form of prescription meds. A perfect storm leading to her untimely death in 2009. Of course I knew who Brittany Murphy was. I hadn't seen all the movies, but to me she was the younger Lucille Ball in Hollywood. And when I heard about her death, I was shocked. I was just shocked as everybody else because I thought she was so damn young. You know, and my head went to foul play. 
somebody poisoned her, somebody drugged her. There's got to be something that caused her to die at such a young age. And I could not believe when I learned of her cause of death. It just, it just didn't add up for me. And I do this for a living. To help me sort through all of this, I'm joined by Amber Ryland. Amber was a former journalist at Radar Online and the first journalist to get exclusive access to Brittany Murphy's late husband, Simon Monjack. Together, we'll discuss various mysteries surrounding the tragic death of Brittany Murphy. Amber, thanks so much for joining me today on the Death by Fame podcast. Thanks for having me. Could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Who's Amber Riley? <laughs> Very different person than I was back then. I was an entertainment journalist working for Radar Online, mm. which was sort of akin to a TMZ. You know, right. they, they were I like a competition, mm-hmm. you know. Everything was very like as soon as news broke, we were out the door, we were at the scene. Your work with Radar was basically Hollywood stories and oh, celebrity yeah. stories, right? Yeah. It was coming off of the Britney Spears shaving her head. It was like oh, the yeah, height yeah. of Hollywood news, right? Mm-hmm, so it was mm-hmm. like 50 paparazzi everywhere you went. Right. And that was our job. So like, they needed you. Yeah. And when did you stop working in the Hollywood scene? I left the entertainment paparazzi news kind of stuff. I stayed in entertainment news, but I transitioned over to television. So I started producing TV shows like Dish Nation, Hollywood Today Mm -hmm. Live. So still that entertainment vibe, but not, it was more like celebrity friendly as opposed to us trying to dig up the dirt, right? Right? right. (laughs) which which had worn on me. You know, it had started to feel not so good. For our listeners, Amber, who was Brittany Murphy? Brittany Murphy was an actress probably best known for her role in Clueless, mm-hmm. rolling with the homies. That was her big line. But then she went on to do movies with Ashton Kutcher, you know, sort of rom-coms. She was never like that sex symbol. She was more like America's sweetheart type actress. Okay. Now, I know that she was on track to be, you know, a major player, but the parts she started to get, you know, in the mid-2000s just became less and less appealing. They're just kind of, you know, not crappy, but They weren't the best roles. And this is like, I think, after she separated from Ashton Kutcher. And so she went from these major motion pictures to like indies and video flicks of some kind. What happened? I mean, we don't know exactly. There's a lot of speculation. I don't think it was her acting chops, per se. She actually was a really great actress. If you look back at Eight Mile and those sort of movies that she did, she was a good actress. But did her reputation change? A I bit mean, of both. I mean, like I said, even though she really was beautiful, she never had that status of like the hot girl, like yeah. a Jessica Alba. So it was more that she wasn't quite that sex symbol that Hollywood was looking for at the time. Yeah, which I Is do think accurate? kind of she knew, you know, like I think it bothered her a little bit. What do you think, you know, on that note, pressures you think that she may have been facing as an actress or any actress like her in Hollywood? At that time in Hollywood, early, early 2000s, 2005 to 2013 was very like skinny, 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 blonde, you know, lots of makeup. So I think maybe she went on the record about it. I'm not quite sure, but I'm pretty sure she said she struggled with eating disorders, Mm. which she had gotten real skinny 
sort of by the end. So I think there was that pressure to be that like gorgeous, skinny Hollywood actress. Mm -hmm. I do remember within our industry rumblings of like, gosh, have you seen Brittany Murphy lately? Like she's getting real skinny. She doesn't go out, you know, in public really. People were talking. Yeah. There was talk of like, she seems unhealthy. Yeah. Right. But in like a sad way, like there was concern. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And for those who don't know, who is Simon Monjack? It's a good question, really. I mean, right. That's why I'm asking because I'm like, do we even really know who he is? Because to me, he's a lot of bullshit. But it seems like, you know, you got to know him on a on a different level. But just generally speaking, not just from your interactions, yeah. like, who is he? Well, you know, even the Simon that I got to know was just the Simon he wanted me to know, right? So really, we as society don't know a lot about Simon because he is British. He came over from the UK and it was like there was no information on who he was before he came over here to mm-hmm. California. It's like one of these people that tells you who they were. They'll tell you what they want exactly. you to know about who they were, even if they weren't. So yeah. it's like he can make up the stories much easier. Yeah. Yeah. So he presented himself as very wealthy, very connected. He made it sound like he was in the business in some way. But then when I was with him, he made it sound like he just traded stocks all day is what he told like day trading, which fine. You can make a bunch of money that way. I mean, I I don't know. Once she met Simon, they secluded themselves. Right. And that's that's the other thing I wanted to ask you is that, you know, he fired her whole team, her management, her agent, even like the makeup artist was gone. Right. Which is crazy. And took over her entire personal, financial, professional, all aspects of her life. And, you know, then her mom was also living with another weird story and ran her life. And and how was it so easy for him to take over like that? I think, I mean, from the outside looking in, exactly. You're like, who who does that? Who lets someone do that? to them and to their life. I mean, life. especially and, her because she was so close to her mother, yeah. too. Well, he did, like, include the mother. Mm. Like, the fact that she lived with them. And I think he knew, well, I can't quite delete that part or else it'll raise red flags, right? right? But we know now, and from stories of women with men like that or yeah. people like that, it was controlling. But for Brittany, she loved him. Why else would she be with him? She mm. did love him. She was blinded and thinking, he's just he wants the best for me. You know, maybe I've been taken advantage of in Hollywood and now he's going to take care of me and make sure that doesn't happen anymore. So this is a huge story, obviously, Brittany Murphy's death and, you know, the fallout afterwards. But I'm first really interested in your relationship to this story. How did you get involved in this? I mean, (laughs) I don't think I realized what I was getting involved in Mm -hmm. in the moment. The day that she died, I got the call from my editor, go to her house. We got to get on the scene. So we go. And of course, the home's gated. So you can't mm-hmm. actually get to the front door or anything. Tons of paparazzi, tons of reporters. And people were like buzzing to see if anyone would answer, which mm-hmm. <laughs> is bizarre in and of yeah. itself looking yeah. back. But at the time, it was like, that's your job. Like, get in, talk to someone. I was so fresh in LA. It was like, I want to do a good job. And Everyone else was buzzing. If I didn't buzz, I certainly wasn't going to get the story, you know. So people were buzzing, leaving their business cards, that kind of thing. I mean, we basically slept in our cars. You you get there and every all your competitors are there buzzing and you're buzzing. Yeah. And did they answer the door on you? 
No, no one answered. At one okay. point, I think someone answered. It was basically like, go we're away. not answering questions. Go right, away. Right, right. Which, Obviously, understandably, yeah. right. there's been a death. But you, know? you all needed to hear that yeah. before you went away. <laughs> and even hearing it, it's like, we're not going away. Right. You know, we were not going away. And I remember sitting in my car overnight, essentially, because then as soon as it was seven or eight or any semi-respectable time in the morning to start buzzing again, or we were there just to see if anyone came or left. Like they you have to all scout eyes. the location. Yeah. Walk me through that day that led up to Brittany's death. I mean, I probably reported on 10 other stories that day before it happened. You know, there was nothing leading up where we were like, keep an eye on Brittany Murphy. Mm, it so was sudden. Yeah. I mean, t- when I got the call, it was like, Brittany Murphy? Are you sure you don't mean Brittany Spears? It was like, Brittany Murphy? Because you kind of hadn't heard her name much. You know, she wasn't headliny. Following her death, the L.A. County coroner concluded that Murphy had died as a result of pneumonia combined with anemia and multiple drug intoxication, in the coroner's words, from prescription and over-the-counter medication. Not quite a drug overdose, but still drug intoxication. There's something to be said. I don't know what the frenzy is over stories like this where, okay, so she died of pneumonia. She was anemic and she had some drugs in her system. It's like we don't want to accept that. And we want something more salacious when it comes to somebody who's famous who died. What? Why is that? I mean, it's the reason that we have celebrity news in the first place, right? There's this just obsession, which I think really is waning a little bit. But for a long time, it was a big obsession for society, just like wanting to know every minute of every day of what a celebrity is doing, what they're eating, who they're with, and how they died, why they died. The salaciousness. And that is a word that even in our newsroom, it was always like, get the salacious story, get the exclusive. So after she died, after Britney's death, you get involved very soon after with Simon Monjack. Walk me through how you connected with him. So like I said, I've been staking out her house since her death. buzzing. Yeah, buzzing, buzzing, (laughs) Uh sitting, waiting. And, you know, the amount of reporters and paparazzi slowly weaned because I think it was December 20th. So then as the holidays were coming up and nothing was happening. So it was like, oh, no one's going to get it. And I remember Christmas Day, you know, my first year in L.A. So I didn't have family out here or anything. And I was driving to a colleague's Christmas party, got a call from an unknown number, which I always answered at the time. (laughs) And he said, hello, is this Amber? And I said, yeah who's this? And he said, it's Simon Monjack. And I said, no, it's not. <laughs> like I thought it was like a friend. Yum. And he's like, no, no, it is. And he's like, I've seen you on the cameras and stuff. You've been at my house. I got your flowers because my editor had called me Christmas morning and said, go buy flowers and bring them to Simon's house. And I said, what? today? Yeah. I said, today it's Christmas. Like we always kind of cross the line to get the right. story, but that just felt like so insensitive and like weird. But I did because again, was kind of new in the business. It was very much that mentality back in the day of like, if you don't, we'll find someone who will. So had to keep my job. Right. So I went and got flowers, wrote a little card. I don't even think from me, I think I said, you know, from the team at Radar, condolences, whatever. He would answer the buzzer. And that day he did answer it. And I said, I'm just leaving something for you. You know, I don't think I said, hope you have a good day. I just mean, left what do something you out. say I will when not, you show Exactly. Up it was flowers. so awkward, right? right? Like, Merry Christmas? No, <laughs> I don't know what I said, but probably something really awkward because that's how it felt. And he just said, you know, 
everyone's been trying to reach me, obviously, and I don't want to talk to anyone. But for some reason, I like you. Which I'm like, well, you don't really, you don't know me, but okay. But you love the flowers. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe right. it was the, and then of course, then my editor's like, I knew it was the flowers. I'm like, who knows? Maybe it was. I don't know. So, or, or the other ones didn't have the nerve to go there on Christmas Day. Well, yeah. You know? I mean, I guess the persistence of right. it paid off. We kind of talked, I want to say for maybe 20 minutes as I was driving, but it wasn't much of anything. It was basically him just saying, you're who I'll talk to. It was shortly after that that he started to be sort of in constant contact with me. Like it wasn't necessarily for an interview. I feel like I sort of became this shoulder to cry on type thing, Mm -hmm. which on one hand was genuine for me because I did feel bad. Like he had someone die. Mm -hmm. I wasn't faking being sad for that. Right. You had compassion. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I had compassion and you know, a lot of things are said about a lot of people. I didn't know him at the time. Maybe he was a nice guy, you know, yeah. so I, I was more just listening right. and being there and, you know, every now and then interjecting a little bit, but not you really questions. You were letting questions. him be in his comfort zone yeah. so that you could ultimately get the story. What stood out to me most when I was learning more about your connection mm-hmm. to the story, I thought, well, good for her. She got the story, but how odd yeah. that within days of losing his wife, he's like, yeah, I'm going to choose you because yep. I trust you and maybe I like the flowers or whatever and come over and let's do this. That, to me, it was very odd. I think to everyone it was odd. And I think, you know, it was the hottest story of the moment. And I think other reporters probably were questioning how I got it. But I can tell you <laughs> all I did was bring flowers. You know? <laughs> right. Right. So, Amber, walk me through from the minute you arrived at the home to do this interview. What happened? The gate opened, you know, for the first time ever. He takes us up to the front door, my camera guy and my main editor. So it was three of us. So not like super intrusive. And even before we got in, he started the interview. He started describing the home and it had cameras everywhere. And he was very proud of that cameras everywhere, this real like technological keyless entry, but it was like fingerprints and numbers and like all this stuff. It was Fort Knox, basically. (laughs) So he gets us in and then we walked in and there was kind of this grand, it was, you know, the two levels are wide open, like a big foyer type thing, more like a formal living space. And Brittany's mom, Sharon, was sitting on the couch And so we immediately introduced ourselves. Thank you for letting us into your home. I'm so sorry about your daughter, you know, and she was very quiet. I got the sense that she didn't really want much to do with the interview and certainly didn't seem to love the idea that Simon had invited us in. Did he give you a tour of the house? Yeah, we sort of chit chatted and got our bearings and okay, the camera's going to follow you and let's just walk and talk type thing. And he offered, he wanted to show us the home. So Across from the first thing we sort of taped or looked at was across from the living room was like this big open dining room, but it wasn't really a dining room. It was just full of racks and racks and racks of clothes, you know, like a wardrobe stylist type thing. And he said they were just Britney's clothes and there wasn't enough room and from shoots and movies. Was the house a mess? It wasn't messy. I mean, it was a little cluttered. It almost didn't feel super lived in, at least for like the living spaces. It was like 
older furniture that you would kind of see in like a formal living space, you know, like no TV, just that sort of thing. And then we went upstairs to the master bedroom and bathroom, which was the crux of the interview, right? The bathroom, the pink bathroom where Brittany died. Yeah. So it was the master suite. We didn't do a lot of prep purposely. We wanted it to be like, let's just follow him in. Tell me about that day. Mm -hmm. You woke up, what happened? And that's what he did. He just said, you know, she hadn't been feeling well. We started in the bedroom. It's where we sleep, which Mm -hmm. also is odd to be in such a private space of a celebrity. But, you know, this is where we sleep. This is where we were. She wasn't feeling good. And I think he said, like, I heard her get out of bed to go to the bathroom and then heard a, you know, like a thump, like she hit the floor. So I went running in. She was down. I screamed for Sharon. Sharon came running in. That's when the 911 call happens. His interview is being given to us after her death. So who knows what the state of the bedroom and the bathroom were at the time of her death. But when we were there, it certainly was pretty messy. You know, I remember like just stuff everywhere, like toiletries and just cluttered pill bottles, tons of shampoo. and Like it just seemed so cluttered. Mind you, I'm a neat freak, but still (laughs) it just seemed like a lot. And same with the bedroom, like the end tables just stacked with books and stuff and the bed not made and, Mm. you know, just the things that you're like, you know, you're having, I don't know. (laughs) It was just, it was weird. I mean, it's one thing for him to even sit down and talk to you so early on, but to just sort of nonchalantly give you a tour of the crime. I mean, it's not a crime, but the scene of death, you know, the bathroom, it's almost like I don't know, like, did he compartmentalize her death? And that's why he was so able to just carry on and give an interview and yeah, I remember, and I remember distance himself from it. And I still, you know, I give people a pass when it comes to grief, especially because everyone, you don't know how someone's going to grieve. Um, and it does present as really weird sometimes. And you think, how could they be acting like that? But you don't know. So I tried to give that pass, mm-hmm. you know, instead of being like, this is really weird. Who does that? But of course, that's the main thing you are going to think because nobody does that. What's the most vivid thing that stands out in your mind about that house that day? The feeling, which no one else can feel through the video, through the interview. It was the feeling that I got. That's what stands out to me more than anything else was just the feeling in the home was so sad. It just felt so cold and secluded. And I just kept thinking about Brittany being alive there and thinking like, how sad. Like, I feel like she truly, for the last however long of her life, mostly with Simon, however long she was with them, was a pretty sad existence. It was very secluded. I don't know what she saw in him. Like, I don't know what he promised her or wooed her with. I don't know if he did have a ton of money or not. You know, was he living off her? Was he taking her money? I don't know. I feel like a lot of that never came out. We'll never know. I think the stories told afterwards let us in on who the real Simon was more than anyone who actually interacted with him. I 
can almost guarantee you I spent the most time with him of anyone after Brittany died, aside from Sharon, maybe. So you would think <laughs> that I probably knew him pretty well. But no, I knew a Simon that was grieving his wife and was purposely talking to the media. So he was being careful in what he said, the way he said it, the way everything was presented. Do you think he was trying to keep her memory alive by telling these stories in a way that could be part of the grieving too? I will say as manipulative and maybe two-faced or whatever he was, I will stand by his love for her. I believe that was genuine. I don't think he showed it in the right ways or, you know, their relationship was more toxic than healthy, but he loved her. You know, he adored her, was obsessed with her. You know, a lot of it was like, look what Britney did. Look at how talented she was. Like, what a loss. The world will never know the Britney that I knew fully, you know, and that broke his heart. I'm not also very sure that even Brittany or Sharon knew the real Simon Monjack. You know, I don't know anyone really knew him until even after his death. I don't really know. I think we hear these stories from his past relationships, but it's really hard to connect the dots. So what happened to Simon? I remember getting a call from my editor one night saying, you've got to get over to Simon's house. And as he was saying it, I immediately cut him off and was like, no, no, we're having dinner in a couple. Like, I'm not. And he was like, no, he's dead. And I was like, what? And as much as like, he wasn't really my friend or really, you know, but he had been in my life for five months. So it it was sad. He had were died. Were shocked? Yeah. I was like, what do you mean? Like, and honestly, my first thought was suicide. Why I did just you think it would have been suicide? Because... By that point, you'd been hearing stuff about the kind of person he was a little bit. And I thought, maybe he's broke. He has nothing. He has clearly has no friends or family in his life. I know he loved Brittany to the end of the earth. And so it wouldn't have surprised me one bit if he thought the best thing to do would be to take his life and go be with Brittany. What was his cause of death? I believe it was word for word the same as Brittany's. I think it was pneumonia. I can't remember if he had anemia too. I think so. Which I remember people thinking is weird because like you said, it's usually like a nutrition deficiency from an eating disorder or something, which he did not look like he had. <laughs> but it was the exact same thing. I don't know if drugs were found in his system, but again, not like an overdose, just was on such and such drugs. Um, but sort of the same, like this mysterious, the fact that he died of the exact same thing was bizarre. The coroner's report found the cause of Monjack's death to be acute pneumonia and severe anemia, similar to the causes attributed to his wife's death just five months earlier in the same house on May 23rd, 2010. He was buried next to Murphy at Forest Lawn Cemetery in the Hollywood Hills. What do you think happened to Brittany Murphy? Medically, obviously her death is, you know, anemia, drugs in her system and pneumonia. And so it's a combination, as odd as it sounds, but is it really? I mean, I don't think she was poisoned or anything like that. I think it was a culmination of probably years at that point of 
not taking care of her body. You know, physically, I don't think she was eating well, if much at all. And then if you're taking any sort of drugs, I think mentally and emotionally, you know, that can also wear on your body physically. So I think the culmination of everything, just the lifestyle she was living, and she was tiny. She was a little woman. She was tiny. So I think the years of that, my presumption at this point, knowing everything we do, is just that her body had enough. Do you think that that was exacerbated by that pressure that you talked about in Hollywood? That pressure of having to be the skinny blonde girl and getting the roles and or not getting the roles and that pressure that puts on you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it all contributed. I think the whole Hollywood actress aspect, which, you know, thanks to me too, and I think it's getting much better. Body positivity, all of that, you know, there's been a real shift in Hollywood, which is great. But at that time, no, it was, you're going to be skinny and blonde and lots of makeup. And you're going to do what I tell you to when I tell you to. And then combined with Simon being so controlling, I think she just was so unhealthy. Do I think she would have ended up this way if it weren't for the pressure of Hollywood and ending up with Simon? She was only 32. But a 32-year-old doesn't just die for no reason or die from pneumonia. As a culture, we devour the stories about starlets who experience a downfall. But, you know, not everything is a conspiracy. Sometimes we have to just take it as it's factually based, right? I think what we have with Britney is a combination of fame, addiction, or at least, you know, drug abuse, and the tolls of, you know, toxic relationship as well. But years later, you know, we still refuse to accept that. And we question Simon and we question poison and doctors could, they've been delivering these drugs to them and over prescription, was there mold in the house? I mean, we're constantly looking for something more salacious. Why is the truth so hard to believe? And why do stories like this cause such a frenzy like decades later? I think it's because the truth, this truth, the way she died is not enough. Like it doesn't feel like an answer. And people want answers. You want a concrete answer that feels like it satisfies your need to know what happened by saying she wasn't feeling good. She fell and died. That doesn't feel good enough. And I think even if it weren't a celebrity, if it were your sister or your mother or your cousin, I still think that wouldn't feel like a good enough answer. So I think that's what it is. I think it's that it, not necessarily the salaciousness or lack of salaciousness in her death. I think it's just that it doesn't feel, I don't know how to say it. It just doesn't feel like, like that was really it. Like but, there's but more it, to like, the story. Yeah, but is there? <laughs> right. Know? And that brings me to my next question, which is there is death and fame, right? And so what makes fame deadly? Oh, boy. <laughs> is this part two of, of the podcast? Uh-huh. <laughs> Could go on all day about that. I think a lot of things, especially then at that time in Hollywood, at that time in the entertainment industry, 
there were a lot of unhealthy aspects to it. A lot of abuse, a lot of traumatic things happening on sets, behind cameras, all that sort of thing. I mean, take a handful of like the child stars from the 90s. Like most of them are dead or really messed up now, (laughs) you know? And like to say, well, they just took a wrong turn. Okay, but guided by what? You know, but imagine being 16, having all the money in the world, only surrounded by yes people. I mean, you're going to do some stupid things and you're going to (laughs) be, you know, a version of yourself that you wouldn't be otherwise. And it's really hard to, I think, get out of or separate yourself from that whole like Hollywood. I think it sucks you in. And I think the most successful people or the most well-adapted people are the ones who have purposely stayed out of the spotlight aside from their art and then surround themselves with like friends and family, not just like hair and makeup and PR and, you know, the businessy type people. You got to keep the real people to keep you grounded. Like real life, like it's not real life. Hollywood's not real life. <laughs> That's a really good point that you have to balance it with the real people in your life because otherwise, you know, the business manager, the makeup artist, they might be real people, but they're associated with the art part of the life. They can become so, the lines can be so blurred, right? It's easy. In fairness, it's easy to get sucked in and for the lines to be blurred and the attention and, oh, we love you, we love you, you do no wrong and all, all that, you know? It's hard too to keep the real people in your life because a lot of those people end up backstabbing, you know, selling stories for money. It's actually my experience covering celebrities. A lot of them I got to know really well. Like most of them were really lonely because they couldn't trust anyone. Do you think that Hollywood's expectations of a young actress like Britney have eased up a little bit since that time? Yeah, definitely. I don't think it's necessarily Hollywood's expectations. I think it's societal actresses taking hold of their own self, you know, and as opposed to letting Hollywood define what they should look like or what they should be like. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me, Amber. I really appreciate your time. I think you added a lot of value for our listeners because of your proximity to this story. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Welcome to Sarah's Sidebar. Brittany's mother, Sharon, believed that there was black mold in the house. And this is what killed Brittany Murphy and Simon Monjack. She was absolutely sure of that. It's important to note, though, that the assistant chief coroner refuted this as a cause of death for the couple. And then on December 19th, 2011, Sharon Murphy filed a malpractice lawsuit against the lawyers that represented her in a settlement against the builders of the home. Now, for our listeners, it's really important to remember that there are two layers of lawsuits here. You have the lawsuit by Sharon against the builders of the house, and you have a set of lawyers that represented her in that lawsuit. And then you have this more recent lawsuit, which is by Sharon against those lawyers who represented her in the lawsuit against the builders for legal malpractice. Her allegations against the attorneys was that they did not make her aware that by settling with the builders, that she was in fact waiving her right to sue the builders for wrongful death. Sharon had reportedly begun to suspect mold when she tried to sell the house during the summer of 2011. She eventually settled the lawsuit on February 7, 2013. What prompted this settlement in terms of the strengths and weaknesses of the case is speculative to a large extent. But the fact that there was a settlement means that there may have been some legal malpractice in the waiver related to the settlement of the lawsuit against the builders. Now, it seems that the lawsuit against the builders included a waiver that was very broad and all-encompassing and that it extended to or included a wrongful death action. Translation, if somebody dies in the home and as a result of anything related to the home, 
you are waiving liability on behalf of the builders. You cannot pursue a claim against them for wrongful death. That's it, simply put. It's important for all of our listeners to know that this settlement against our attorneys for legal malpractice still doesn't answer the question of whether mold played any part in the death of Brittany and Simon. Even if the builders were at some point sued for mold, we certainly have no evidence that these two bizarre deaths were caused by mold. The coroner certainly didn't think so, and neither did the private pathologist who conducted an independent autopsy. It is incredibly difficult for parents to call a spade a spade, to accept that their starlet child has died of fame, a combination of addiction, anemia, and possibly abuse. Sometimes the cause is not extrinsic, but it's easier for parents, and in the case of celebrities, fans, to point the finger away from intrinsic causes and look for an extrinsic, concrete explanation. And then there is the cause of death itself. Now we have to remember that the official cause of death remains the same, i.e. community-acquired pneumonia with contributing factors of iron deficiency anemia and multiple drug intoxication. That is what the coroner found. All the drugs involved were prescription and over-the-counter medications. The death was ruled accidental. Should the coroner have conducted another autopsy of Brittany's body? Nope. The findings are the findings once they're completed. And that conclusion is not typically later altered, nor is the autopsy redone just because there's a dispute or disagreement regarding the cause of death. Only in some very limited circumstances, the coroner might conduct further autopsy. And that's when the autopsy is forensic, and the coroner believes it wasn't done properly the first time around. So forensically speaking, it's only appropriate if the first autopsy was not performed properly. But a dispute or disagreement as to cause of death does not prompt a redo. That's it for this episode of Death by Fame. Be sure to join me next week. I am joined by weapons expert Steve Wolf to discuss what happened on the set of Rust. Ultimately, we have to agree as a society that the people who are holding guns are responsible for the damage done by those guns. Don't miss it. Death by Fame is produced by Ample Entertainment for ID. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love for you to take a second and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.